Hello, everyone. Welcome to Professor Jamerson's podcast. This is Introduction to African American Studies, Fall 2020. Uh, This week, we are starting a two-week unit on black feminism. And for this podcast, we are covering Patricia Hill Collins, Chapter 2 from Black Feminist Thought, The Distinguishing Features of Black Feminist Thought. And uh, just go ahead and jump into the reading here. Um, It starts with a few paragraphs about this problem that black feminism has been confronting um, throughout its development as as a sort of academic tradition. Um, You know, of course, Collins makes the argument here that black feminist thought has been around for a very, very long time, except it hasn't carved out a place for itself in the academy as, as strongly as she would have liked, you know, up to this point, even though that has been changing. Um, And, and in that, effort to to become sort of a, a established as legitimate source of knowledge that 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 is what membership in the academy membership in in the world of universities and academic thought means right it means um in our society that that there's a legitimate form of knowledge being produced here um some of the hurdles to this have been black feminism struggles to define itself uh, for example Despite continuing acceptance among many African-Americans of Afrocentrism as a term referencing traditions of black consciousness and racial solidarity, we've talked about Afrocentrism in this course a little bit, academics and media pundits maligned the term in the 1980s and 1990s. This is an early example of backlash against so-called identity politics. For example, even the term black felt victim to deconstructive to, a, to the deconstructive moment with a growing number of, quote, black intellectuals who do, quote, race scholarship, questioning the very terms used to describe both themselves and their political struggle. And and the reason this is so important is because if we think about systems of racial control, if we think about the African-American experience for so much of that time, for so much of that experience, one of the biggest sources of oppression faced by African-Americans and and African-American women has been has been a lack of means to to engage in self-definition. And, and, and she talks about self-definition as an important part of black feminist thought throughout this chapter. And so she says, despite all these difficulties, despite sort of a white backlash against the very notion of black feminism, despite internal contradictions within black studies, um, about how to define itself and how to do to reconcile um, gender inequalities within Black studies, right? Despite these difficulties, finding some sort of common ground for thinking through the boundaries of Black feminist thought remains important because, as U.S. Black feminist activist Pearl Klieg reminds us, quote, we have to see clearly that we are a unique group set undeniably apart because of race and sex with a unique set of challenges. And so this chapter becomes an effort to define, or at least define the contours of what Collins sees here as black feminist thought. Um, and really she identifies the in this chapter these six, what she calls distinguishing features that characterize black feminist thought um, in order to provide this common ground that is so sorely needed among both African-American women and between African-American women and all others whose collective knowledge or thought has a similar purpose. And so what, you know, one of these distinguishing features that she gets to at the very end is this idea of coalition building. Black feminist thoughts, distinguishing features need not be unique and may share much with other bodies of knowledge. Look, black feminism isn't like claiming these, these points, these distinguishing features. It's just, this is, these are the things that, that help to define what black feminist thought is. It's not that other, other modes of thinking Right, especially coming from 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 intersectional um, positionalities, for example, um, it, these aren't unique to Black women. These aren't unique to African American women, but these are the things that help to define um, the mode of thought that has been produced by African American women over over the course of four hundred years. Rather, it is the convergence of these distinguishing features that give black feminist thought its distinctive contour. So it's not that other modes of thought don't have these, it's, it's the particular combination here that what's, is, is, is what makes black feminist thought for Patricia Collins like unique among modes of thinking. 
And so the first distinguishing feature of black feminist thought is sort of the why, it's sort of the purpose of black feminist thought. She says, black feminism remains important because U.S. black women constitute an oppressed group, right? This is, we have to start off with this fundamental feature of black feminist thought, this fundamental like sort of starting point for black feminist thought. As a collectivity, she says, U.S. black women participate in a dialectical relationship linking African-American women's oppression and activism. And I've actually pulled this notion of a dialectic between oppression and activism from these pages and, and applied this to our African-American studies course more generally. What she means here is that that oppression necessarily in black feminist thought creates resistance to that oppression. The resistance to that oppression fundamentally changes the nature of the oppression itself, either by lessening it or or as we've talked about in this class, right, um, how, how systems of racial control change and, sh and change um, over time and, and, and resistance to systems of racial control as evidenced in black feminist thought has contributed to these changing systems of racial control. And so this always necessitates new forms of resistance on the part of, of activists. And this is what we mean by the dialectic between oppression and activism. Black feminist thought exists for Patricia Collins within this dialectic. And, and once again, this isn't the only mode of thought that, that is fueled by a dialectic between oppression and activism, but this is something that is um, also found in black feminism. As a critical social theory, black feminist thought aims to empower African-American women within the context of social injustice sustained by intersecting oppressions. And here it is. And, and um, I'm going to borrow, you know, some lessons from my social theory course. In my social theory course, we've been going through these different sort of identity-based theories, um, you know, theories of race, theories of gender, theories of sexuality. And, and this week we're doing indigenous theories. And, and for each of these, right, there's a central sort of mission. There's a central theme for each theoretical perspective. We could talk about this with black feminism too. With black feminism, there's a central mission or theme, which is to, right, as she says here, empower African-American women, the central theme of, of, of black women, of black feminist thought. But in this same statement, we can see how black feminist thought contains this other major contribution, right? Moving beyond the central theme of black feminism, um, and, and what has black feminism as a mode of thinking contributed to our, our knowledge more generally of the way society works. Here it is right here, the, the context of social injustice sustained by intersecting oppressions. Right here, she's clearly talking about intersectionality, the fact that black women experience oppression, not just from a racial basis, but also from a gender basis, but also from a class basis and all of these forms of oppression converge onto black women as a group and onto black women as individuals. This, this concept, intersectionality, um, I can't stress this enough, really revolutionized the way oppression is considered and defined and, and the way and, and what we know about how oppression works in society. Um, so once again, you know, thinking about the importance of black feminism, not just as it relates to black women, but like lessons for everyone, right? What can black feminism teach all of us? Um, here, here are both of these, both of these points contained in the same statement here by Patricia Hill Collins. She says, on the one hand, democratic promises of individual freedom, equality under the law and social justice are made to all American citizens, right? This is um, something that the constitution um, is supposed to provide for us, right? Yet on the other hand, the reality of differential group treatment based on race, class, gender, sexuality, and citizenship status persists. Groups organized around race, class, and gender in and of themselves are not inherently a problem. She's not taking this colorblind approach, right? She's not saying race doesn't exist, gender doesn't exist. She's saying these categories themselves are not a problem. It's the hierarchies that we associate with them that are structured around them that are problematic. And what she's referring to here is this longstanding sort of problem that, that American sociology has been confronting in terms of racial inequality. And this is the American dilemma. Um, what to make of a society that 
is based on this ideal of freedom, and yet so many people are made to be unfree in the system that was designed to create freedom. Um, going back to the 1940s, and this Swedish guy, Gunnar Myrdal, wrote a book called The American Dilemma. That's what she's referencing here. And black women are um, ideally situated from, from an analytic perspective to understand how all of this works. Right. And this is this is part of what she's talking about, this dialectic between oppression and activism. We could think of just developing the concept, right, inventing the concept of intersectionality as a pretty powerful um, device that we can use to analyze and therefore fight oppression. Within this overarching contradiction of the American dilemma, U.S. black women encounter a distinctive set of social practices that accompany our particular history within a unique matrix of domination characterized using, using once again, this term intersect characterized by intersecting oppressions. Race is far from being the only significant marker of group difference. And this is, and this is, you know, when, when black feminism, you know, like the idea of intersectionality coming out of it recognizes that there are multiple vectors of difference in our society that, that create inequality. And, and that we, we, we are not usually associated with just one of these. Um, often um, more than one of these are present in the lived experiences of an individual or the collective experiences of a group. And just to make a couple more points about this first distinguishing feature, the why, the sort of oppressive context in which black feminist thought is situated, um, keeping it sort of in the present day, overlaying these persistent inequalities is a rhetoric of colorblindness designed to render these social inequalities invisible. It becomes something, it becomes racist just to even talk about racism um, according to the logic of colorblindness, especially like at the height of colorblind logic um, that we saw in the 90s, which is when, which is when Collins is, is sort of coming up with, with, with a lot of these ideas. Um, and so she's talking about, you know, the, the, the current day context, but also, you know, thinking about multi-generations, multiple generations of black women and how these types of knowledges are passed down from generation to generation. Overall, these ties between what one does and what one thinks, um, a lot of black feminist thought for Patricia Hill Collins is tied to labor, is tied to work, is tied to family relationships. Um, the sort of everyday lived experiences that feminist theory more generally tends to emphasize, but, but are especially important in the context of black feminist thought, the ties between what one does and what one thinks. And so here, what's an example of this? Here on page 27 in my book, um, for individual women, the particular experiences that accrue to living as a black woman in the United States can stimulate a distinctive consciousness concerning our own experiences and society overall. Many African-American women grasp this connection between what one does and how one thinks. And so here she is sort of breaking this, this concept down, right? The connection between what one does and how one thinks. A distinctive consciousness concerning our own experiences, right? We could think about Du Bois and double consciousness, right? Um, I see myself as one thing. Society is seeing me as multiple other things, right? Um, in the context of black women. And so I've also, I've also had the, um, um, heard the expression triple consciousness to talk about a black, a specific black feminist consciousness. Hannah Nelson uh, perhaps says it better, right? And time and time again, Collins is not going to like the academics and the poets and the playwrights, right? The, the elite black feminist thinkers, even though there is a special place for elite black feminist intellectuals within the tradition more generally. Here she's talking about Hannah Nelson, an elderly black domestic worker, discusses how work shapes the perspectives of African-American and white women. Since I have to work, I don't really have to worry about most of the things that most of the white women I have worked for are worrying about. And if these women did their own work, they would think just like I do about domestic labor, for example. The mind of the man and the mind of the woman is the same, she notes. And this is Ruth Shays, a black inner city resident, 
pointing out how variations in men's and women's experiences lead to differences in perspective. One of these is about racial difference, right? Black woman to white woman. Another of these is about gender differences. The mind of the man and the mind of the woman is the same, she notes, but this business of living makes women use their minds in ways that men don't even have to think about. And so black women's experiences, what they do, right, become an important determinant of, of how black women think as a group and as individuals, according to Collins here. And she goes on, the presence of black women's collective wisdom challenges two prevailing interpretations of the consciousness of oppressed groups. One approach claims that subordinate groups identify with the powerful and have no valid independent interpretation of their own oppression. In other words, they, they, the oppressed group has no sort of intellectual agency and any narratives they have about their experience or their identity or their history are the ones that have been sort of hand fed, spoon fed to them by the oppressor. The second assumes the oppressed are less human, are less human than their rulers. And we've talked about, you know, uh, we've talked about this in, a, in the context of racial oppression in this class and are therefore less capable of interpreting their own experiences, right? This is the dehumanizing way to look at the oppressor. Both approaches see any independent consciousness expressed by African-American women and other oppressed groups as being either not of our own making, which is, which is like, which is, which is a point that she's taking and completely dismantling and demolishing throughout the course of this chapter and indeed the whole book. Or inferior to that of the dominant group in here. And, and here she's also making the case that black women's uh, standpoint and black feminist thought um, should be, um, what, what's the phrasing here? Should be considered as equal, right, to other modes of activist thought, to, to other forms of knowledge production. She's not arguing that black feminist thought is superior. She just thought that it should be given its, its, its an, equal, an equal stand and an equal footing um, with other modes of thinking. And so moving on to the second distinguishing feature of black feminist thought, diverse responses to common challenges within black feminism. She writes that the second distinguishing feature of black feminist thought emerges from a tension linking experience and ideas. What do we mean by a tension linking experience and ideas? Well, if black feminist thought emerges from the lived experiences of black women, um, and not all black women are the same, then we're talking about lots of different type, types of experiences. How can we talk about black feminist thought if it is emergent itself from a diversity of experiences? Um, and so how can we, how can we um, navigate that tension? Um, one way is to think about the diverse responses that we have to common challenges. And so even though black women um, may come from many different walks of life, um, from many different places, from many different economic backgrounds, from many different family histories. Um, the challenges, nevertheless, are the same, no matter who you are as a black woman. And so one, one um, example I like to give about this, and maybe I've talked about this in this class, is, you know, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, um, she was shopping for handbags in a pretty high-end store in, I think it was in Geneva, in Switzerland. And this is Oprah. She's a billionaire. She's really rich. She's really famous, too, in the United States. But she's shopping for handbags in Switzerland. And she's, like, you know, kind of poking around and looking around. And a store person, you know, came up to her and was like, you know, I don't think that you should, you know, be in here. I don't think you can afford any of the handbags in here. And uh, Oprah, I think, laughed at this person and then bought like six handbags and she could have bought, you know, the whole store, the building the store was located in, the whole block of buildings, perhaps, that the building that the store was located in was found in. So um, the point is, is that Oprah gets racially profiled um, just like any other black woman may get racially profiled um, in, in, in another shopping situation. Um, 
Despite differences, Patricia Collins writes of age, sexual orientation, social class, region, and religion, U.S. black women encounter societal practices that restrict us to inferior housing, except for Oprah. Neighborhoods, schools, jobs, and public treatment, and hide this differential consideration behind an array of common beliefs. Right? All black women are the same, right? A monolith, a monolithic group um, about black women's intelligence, work habits, and sexuality. All black women act the same as well. Not every individual black woman consumer need experience being followed in a store as a potential shoplifter ignored while others are waited on first or seated near restaurant kitchens and restrooms for African-American women as a collectivity to recognize that differential group treatment is operating, right? I don't need to experience this personally to know that other black women are going through it too, because I have probably experienced something similar and, and all the other black women I know have experienced similar things as well. They're not all the same. Our experiences are all different. And, and our reactions to them are all different, but the, the challenges, the commonality of these challenges remains. And so black feminism um, gains some of its collectivity through these common challenges and through, and through sort of incorporating all of these diverse responses into these common challenges. And there's a great example, uh, not a great example, it's a very sad example It's a, it's a, um, um, of how this starts at a very young age for many black women. Um, so this is on page 30 in my, in my book. Um, Collins writes that in 1975, I received an essay titled My World from Sandra, a sixth grade student who is a resident of one of the most dangerous public housing projects in Boston. Sandra wrote... My world is full of people getting raped, people shooting on another, um, kids and grown-ups fighting over girls' friends, and people without jobs who can't afford to, uh, to get an education so they can get a job, winos on the streets raping and killing little girls. Her words poignantly express a growing black feminist sensibility. Um, she's in sixth grade, so, so how old is she? 12, 13, something like this? They reveal her awareness that she is vulnerable to rape as a form of sexual violence. She may be victimized by racism, misogyny, and poverty. Despite her feelings about her neighborhood, Sandra not only walked the streets daily, but managed to safely, managed safely to deliver three siblings to school. In doing so, she participated in a black women's, black women's legacy of struggle. Sandra prevailed, but at a cost. Unlike others, unlike Sandra, others simply quit. So, so she writes, despite these common challenges, right? Um, I just talked about Oprah and I just talked about Sandra. Um, despite the common challenges confronting African-American women as a group, individual black women neither have identical experiences nor interpret experiences in a similar fashion. The existence of core themes does not mean that African-American respond to these themes in the same way. Differences among individual black women produce different patterns of experiential knowledge that in turn shape individual reflections to the core themes. For example, when faced with controlling images of black women, Sojourner Truth demand, ain't I a woman? And so, and so what she's getting at here is that these patterns emerge out of the diversity of experiences and reactions to oppression from black women. And, and, and in doing so, black feminist thought, because of this diversity, is able to deconstruct the conceptual apparatus of the dominant group. By deconstructing the conceptual apparatus of the dominant group, they challenge notions of Barbie doll femininity premised on middle-class women's experiences. Um, and so what do we mean here? What is what do the meaning of this expression the conceptual apparatus of the dominant group. And uh, here we could talk about the sort of world of symbols that support and maintain white supremacy, for example, the world of symbols and practices and behaviors that supports capitalism, that supports patriarchy, right? All of these come to bear on the experiences of black women 
therefore constituting a common set of challenges. Black women as individual thinkers, right, <laughs> respond to these in turn in diverse ways, um, thereby shaping the very things that purport to oppress them. And, and one of the ways that the, the conceptual apparatus of the dominant group works is through what Patricia Hill Collins calls controlling images. And I'll just briefly go through a few of these. And she, she writes about these at length in the next chapter. Um, these controlling images are sort of symbols, representations of black women used to justify and maintain black women's exploitation and oppression. The first one to know is the mammy. This is an older black woman, does not have children of her own, takes care of during the era of slavery, right? The master's kids later represented as like a domestic servant or house worker or cook um, in pop culture. Um, Aunt Jemima would be an example of a mammy. Aunt Jemima has recently been canceled. There will be no more Aunt Jemima. We've seen mammy figures. Uh, we could also think about, I haven't seen the Popeye's lady, like Popeye's chicken and biscuits. Um, the black lady on those commercials, she's kind of a mammy figure, um, service worker, like working in food. Um, the mammy is loyal to authority, loyal to the white male authority figure, um, cares more about the master's children than, than her own kind, um, will stand up for the master and, and it completely accepts her subservient role, right? Is, is docile, is asexual, non-sexual, not a threat in any way to the power structure that's in place. That is the mammy stereotype or controlling image. Um, another controlling image to be aware of is the matriarch. And this, um, another euphemism for this is like single moms, single mom households. Um, the matriarch is a black woman who has to work outside the home and therefore cannot be a good mother to her black children. Therefore, her black children will grow up to perpetuate the problems of the black community. So therefore, the problems in the black community all stem from black women and their non-mothering skills or their absence in the home. Um, this, is, this is the matriarch hypothesis. Uh, another offshoot of this is the angry black woman. Um, the matriarch is the matriarch because she's kind of mean and angry and dispirited and can't keep a man. And so therefore, um, and so therefore, right, she runs the house by herself and, and all these problems result from, from, from that family model. Um, um, an updated version of the matriarch stereotype or controlling image is the welfare queen. Another controlling image discussed by Patricia Collins in later pages in this book. The welfare queen is an invention of the Reagan administration. Um, the welfare queen, a little bit more. So if we're thinking in terms of sexuality, the mammy is non-sexual. The matriarch um, is sexually irresponsible. The welfare queen, the welfare queen is even more sexually irresponsible, actually more of a predatory kind of sexuality with the welfare queen. Um, the welfare queen will have children with all these different men and as many children as she can in order to collect as many government benefits as she can. Um, this is a powerful image used to help um, deconstruct and dismantle very important social safety nets in the 1980s, um, starting with the Reagan administration, moving into the Bush senior administration, and then the Clinton administration, you know, put the final nail on the coffin for any sort of a meaningful social safety net um, for needy families. Um, the welfare queen right, anchored with an image of a black woman, right, running around, um, sleeping with all these guys and having all these kids and not working and being lazy, um, right, very powerful um, image in helping to dismantle this, 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 um, what was already kind of a crumbling social safety net. Um, and so one pattern to look out for here is like increasing levels of, of, um, of sexuality or increasing sort of sexual virulence going through these different controlling images. So Mammy, Matriarch, Welfare Queen. And finally, we have the um, the, oh, the hypersexualized image of the Black woman, the Jezebel. She's the one who will steal your man. She's the one who just wants to, like, you know, screw around, 
the um, the hoe, the slut, right? These these labels get applied. Um, we could think about celebrities like Cardi B, who's gotten the Jezebel treatment. Um, other female rappers like Lil Kim. We had a whole conversation about this um, when we talked about hip hop music. Um, I'm trying to think of. There was like a woman who was like named as a welfare queen in the late '80s. Um, and I'm trying to think of like a matriarch, um, a matriarch stereotype. Maybe y'all could think of those in your small groups um, when you get to those. Or we can think about them in our Zoom session on Friday. And so this this the, this this set of controlling images constitute what Patricia Hill Collins calls, you know, a big part of the conceptual apparatus of the dominant group. Black feminist thought exists, right, to help dismantle these and help delegitimize these images. All right, moving on to the third distinguishing feature of black feminist thought, black feminist practice and black feminist thought. Um, here, um, there's a term I want you to know, praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S. And this section is about the notion of praxis within black feminist thought. Praxis is um, in, a, in, a, in a very, in a very, um, in very simple terms, a unification of thought and action. Um, and so if you subscribe to a th certain theory, for example, and then act on that theory, that's praxis. Um, so if you believe in equality for women and then you go march in a rally, right, that is a march in a rally for gender equality, that is a form of praxis. Um, this is a distinguishing feature of black feminist thought because of how the dialectical relationship between oppression and activism work. Um, and so if we think about the way that we have these diverse responses to common challenges, right? How do these diverse responses become formulated into a larger plan for action, a larger set of strategies that black women can draw from? Um, and here she writes about in contrast, right? So we have this dialectical relationship between oppression and activism. That is a distinguishing feature of black feminist thought here. And we talk about praxis, the unification of thought and action. She writes that in contrast to the dialectical relationship linking oppression and activism, we have a dialogical relationship characterizing black women's collective experiences and group knowledge. Black women talk to each other and talk to each other about these diverse responses and, and will tailor their responses to the common challenges based on you know, tips that they get from other black women about how they respond to the common challenges in their own individual way. In this way, right, we have sort of a collective strategy or a collective set of strategies that develop for action based off of these diverse, these diverse individual responses to these common challenges. For U.S. black women as a collectivity, the struggle for a self-defined black feminism occurs through an ongoing dialogue whereby action and thought inform one another, right? Self-definition. It, it, um, and this is where we get to the importance of self-definition, right? Praxis in this sense, the unification of thought and action necessarily will result in a self-defined version of black feminism that is of black women and for black women. Um, and this and this is a very important starting point when we think about, you know, um, how institutions of power and white supremacy and patriarchy and 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 um, and capitalist uh, oppression, right? All of these work to negate um, any efforts at self-definition on the part of oppressed groups. Um, it's a major part of of the sort of ideological foundation of subjugation. So because black feminism relies on this notion of praxis to constantly be able to respond to these common challenges and, and constantly give black women an outlet for self-definition, um, we also need to think of black feminism, black feminist thought as a kind of critical social theory. It's not just about sort of this is what black feminism, black women think and feel, and this is why these these ideas and these experiences are important. It's it's about making things better for black women. It is about reducing the amount of oppression faced on a daily basis, faced on a group basis. Um, it's about addressing um, historical 
legacies of oppression, right? It's about it's about it's about social justice, and this is the essence of a critical theory. And so here, you know, pulling in some elements of of other social theoretical traditions, and this is specifically going back to Marxism. Um, Marx famously wrote, um, "The goal of philosophy should not be to understand the world; it should be to change the world." Um, and here, Patricia Hill Collins writes, within these parameters, knowledge for knowledge's sake is not enough. Black feminist thought must both be tied to black women's lived experiences and aim to better those experiences in some fashion. So by taking the core themes of a black woman's standpoint and infusing them with new meaning, black feminist thought can stimulate a new consciousness that utilizes Black women's everyday taken for granted knowledge. And so this becomes in itself a way to make the lives of African-American women better. Um, this The power that black feminist thought has in terms of self-definition becomes a major sort of first step in, in, in larger dialogues within the black um, feminist community about past to move forward and, and sort of projecting agency outward to institutions of power that would negate black women's experiences. And just an important note before we move on, and she writes here at the end of this, this third distinguishing feature, at first glance, these connections between black feminist practice and black feminist thought might suggest that only African-American women can participate in the production of black feminist thought, and that only black women's experiences can form the content of that thought. But this model of black feminism is undermined by, as a critical perspective by being dependent on those who are biologically black and female. And so what we end up with is, um, is a, potentially, a potential exclusionary version of black feminism, which is the antithesis of much of what black feminism believes. And so, and so black feminism, Patricia O'Collins says, um, black feminism, which black feminism, which confined black feminist black feminist criticisms to black women, critics of black women, artists depicting black women are inadequate because they are inherently separatist, which is using basically the same logic of the oppressor, right? It's um it's a, a, a segregating kind of black feminism, and so given this need for self, instead the connections there aim for autonomy. So we don't want to think of black feminism as being um, only for black women, but it is, but it does need to be an autonomous space for black women to operate. Um, and so I think that that's an important distinction to be aware of. I want to move on now to the fourth distinguishing feature of um, black feminist thought, which is dialogical practices and black women intellectuals. Um, so as we've seen here, um, black feminist thought comes from all black women. Um, you know, no matter your circumstances, no matter your educational background, no matter you, how much money you have, um, you know, just just being a black woman in the United States um, produces a certain kind of lived experience that is of a connection with all other black women living in the United States. And so one of the ways or one of the, the needs or um, distinguishing features of black feminism here is the role of black women intellectuals in helping to consolidate these lived experiences and helping to uncover the patterns that emerge from, from and, and this is going back to, you know, how I became black through studying black women, through talking with black women, through learning about um, these diverse responses to common challenges um, by talking with other black women and 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 then writing about it and then and then telling other people about it um historically black women intellectuals stood in a special relationship to the larger community of african-american women a relationship that framed black feminist thoughts contours as critical social theory um black women in these more fortunate positions um intellectual positions were able to highlight the lived experiences of other women like them through their positions um, and therefore help shape the contours of black feminist thought more generally. Working class black women also engaged in a parallel joining of ideas and activism, but because they were denied formal education, the form of their activism as well as the content 
of the ideas they developed differed from those of middle class black women. And, and the middle class is where a lot of this early intellectual class of black women came from. And so she writes here about two kinds of knowledge, right? And and um, and intellectuals, the black black female intellectuals, sort of um, specialize in one kind of knowledge, but the first kind of knowledge, and these are interrelated levels of knowledge, but the first level of knowledge is this commonplace, take it for granted knowledge, shared by African American women, growing from our everyday thoughts and actions. The ideas that black women share with one another on an informal daily basis about topics such as how to style our hair, characteristics of, quote, good black men, strategies for dealing with white folks, and skills of how to get over, provide the foundations for this taken for granted knowledge, right? These everyday conversations that you would have maybe just catching up with an acquaintance, right? Experts or specialists who participate in and emerge from a group produce a second, more specialized type of knowledge. Whether working class or middle class educated or not, the range of black women intellectuals discussed in chapter one are examples of these specialists, right? They, they, they are taking these conversations, these informal everyday conversations, um, you know, that may happen spontaneously, that, that may happen every day, that may seem like nothing and really putting these conversations under a microscope and, and really thinking more about what they mean and wanting to do something more about, you know, the, 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 the daily experiences and the common challenges that, that produce these conversations. Because they have had greater opportunities to achieve literacy, middle-class black women have also had greater access to the resources to engage in black feminist scholarship one avenue where working class black women intellectuals have been able to engage in self-definition and empowerment is in blues music. And um, remind me on Thursday, we will listen to uh, Nina Simone's song that I think encapsulates black feminism. Um, and then she goes on, right? She, she lists what I think four reasons why black women intellectuals are very important to the development of black feminist thought. First, our experiences as African-American women provide us with a unique angle of vision concerning black womanhood, unavailable to other groups, even, even other individuals who choose to engage in the principles of black feminism. Um, if you're not a black woman, you're not going to have that sort of experiential um, aspect of it. And so you can't have black feminist thought without black women. I mean, that's what ultimately this boils down to. Um, second, black women intellectuals, both inside and outside the academy, and this is an important point as well, are less likely to walk away or don't really even have the ability to walk away from black women's struggles when the obstacles seem overwhelming or when the rewards for staying diminish. Um, third, black women intellectuals from all walks of life must aggressively push this theme of self-definition because speaking for oneself and crafting one's agenda is essential for empowerment. And so um, it really is, you know, about walking the walk, talking the talk, and how these two are linked to each other. Fourth, black women intellectuals are central in the production of black feminist thought because we alone, and this is something that, you know, getting back to you can't have black feminism without black women, uh, because we alone can foster the group autonomy, right? It would not be black feminist thought without black women. So, so in thinking about the, the notion of black feminist thought as an autonomous mode of thinking as an uh, as a as a, an autonomous and unique sort of collective experiential um um standpoint um we need to have this if we're going to form coalitions with other groups with different standpoints but so we alone can foster the group autonomy that fosters effective coalitions with other groups this is going to play an important role as we move forward in the chapter. All right. All right. Moving on to the fifth distinguishing feature of black feminist thought, black feminism as dynamic and changing. Um, this may seem pretty obvious to us thinking about diverse responses, right? It's going to be dynamic if we have so many diverse responses to these common challenges. But the key point is that black feminist thought through the dialogical practices 
that occur between black women and black women activists and intellectuals and 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 workers and mothers um you know wives sisters daughters right all black women occupying all these roles all contribute to this collective standpoint group knowledge that patricia collins says is 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 this unique thing to black feminist thought and produces a unique kind of knowledge um the times change right situations that black women experience change the common challenges as we, as we talked about last week right the common challenges are are there but they change form over time and across space uh, we're now in the era of new jim crow <coughs> for example excuse me um and so black feminism must in turn become dynamic or is in turn dynamic and changing to to um adapt to that and a big example that she gives here in this section is um is the historical transformation of mammy work or the historical um you know narrative of mammy work um and for so so i talked about the mammy like it has its roots back in slavery um, most can most can understand Mammy Work's historical context, right? That one where black women were confined to domestic service, with Aunt Jemima created as a controlling image designed to hide black women's exploitation. Understanding the limitations of domestic service, right? Much of black women's progress in the labor market has been measured by the move out of domestic service. You don't see black women working in homes, um, cooking for you know wealthy homeowners like like you used to see. Um, and, and it doesn't mean Mammy's work has gone away. It's just its location has gone away, right? Currently, few U.S. black women work in domestic service in private homes. Instead, a good deal of this work is now done by undocumented immigrant women of color, right? Like thinking about another group, another oppressed group um, with a different set of challenges, including language, for example. Um this does not mean, however, that U.S. Black women have escaped mammy work, even though few Aunt Jemimas exist today, and those that do have been cosmetically altered, leading and, and those that do, leading to the impression that mammy work has disappeared, it has only assumed new forms. With each segment of the labor market, um, the low-paid jobs at fast food establishment, nursing homes, daycare centers, dry cleaners, the secretaries and clerical workers of the lower tier sector, the teachers, social workers, nurses, and administrators of the primary upper tier, U.S. Black women still do a remarkable share of the emotional nurturing and cleaning up after other people, often for lower pay. And so, and so just to think about one example, right, we can talk about the new Jim Crow as well. Black women have been caught up in this. Um, and it's something Michelle Alexander, as a black woman, chooses, right, purposely does not write about in her book, The New Jim Crow. Um, I will post a video with Kimberly Crenshaw sort of updating the notion of intersectionality in the time of Black Lives Matter and, and mass incarceration. But this, but this example of Mammy work um, and how it has changed its shape and form across time um, is a good sort of bookend to that discussion as well and, and it just goes to show you know um these things aren't going away the more things change the more things stay the same and so black feminism must be responsive and adoptive to those changes in order to provide these outlets for black women for self-definition and finally the sixth distinguishing feature of black feminist thought black feminism and other social justice projects black feminism could not call itself black feminism if it did not engage in coalition building recognizing that um you know black women's situation is not going to be improved just for themselves um other situations need to also be improved and if we work towards social justice with other groups investing in social justice and form coalitions around common aims, then more can be achieved. And um, this is one of the, the guiding principles, I think, of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and, and, and this is coming from, you know, a, cert, a few certain assumptions that, that are embedded within Black feminist thought. First is this notion of racial universality. Uh, we are all humans and we all have a racial identity. Um, therefore, the idea of race affects every one of us. Um, 
in specific ways, but it is still there for all of us. And so that's something that we can use to rally around people of, of, of all racial backgrounds. Um, and then, of course, we have this notion of womanist. Alice Walker, famous uh, black woman novelist, right, prefers the term womanist to feminist and addresses this notion of the solidarity of humanity. Womanist is to feminist as purple is to lavender, she writes. To Walker, one is womanist when one is committed to the survival and wholeness of entire people, male and female. A womanist is not a separatist, as, as sometimes feminism can be like separatist. Um, so criticism of feminism, both from within and from without, of feminist thought and feminist activism. Mama, why are we brown, pink, and yellow when our cousins are white, beige, and black? Answer, well, you know the colored race is just like a flower garden with every color flower represented. By redefining all people as, quote, people of color, Walker universalizes what are typically seen as individual struggles while simultaneously allowing space for autonomous movements of self-determination. Once again, it's not the categories themselves that are problematic. It's the hierarchies and the values and the judgments that we place on those categories. Without a commitment to human solidarity and social justice, any political movement, whether black nationalist, feminist, or anti-elitist, may be doomed to failure, including black feminism and so coalition building towards a greater um, society, with, towards a, a more socially justice-oriented society for all, becomes in this way a distinguishing feature of black feminist thought. All right, so that is my discussion of chapter two of Patricia Hill Collins, Black Feminist Thought. Um, remember your small group discussions are optional this week. Um, due to the delayed quiz, I apologize for that. So I do hope to have a nice discussion um, informed by this podcast and class and our Zoom session on Thursday. Please let me know if you have any questions. I hope everyone is taking care of themselves. There's a lot of COVID going around right now. So please try to be extra safe these days. All right. Um, take care, everyone. Bye-bye.